This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What is the difference between submitting to your husband as the Bible calls wives to do and the patriarchy? Do I think that we're living in the end times? What does my day-to-day look like? What's my favorite breakfast food? What kind of job would I have if I didn't have a podcast? I'm answering all of these questions and more on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. All right, I'm going to answer some of your questions as usual. Some of them are lighthearted, some of them food related today, and others deeper, more theological. I love the variety. It's really fun. So let's start with the lighthearted one just to kick us off. A favorite breakfast food, favorite breakfast food. Ooh, well, I just had a quiche this morning that my mother-in-law made, and that is probably one of my favorite breakfast breakfast foods. I don't make it myself because I don't trust that I'll be able to make it in the same way that she does. But I love a quiche. I love brunchy type food, like the kind that you would get at like a really good bridal shower. So quiche also, okay, this is not a breakfast food, but I'm just talking about like brunch, you know, chicken salad, things like that. I love that type of thing. Um, I also, you know, I just love pancakes. I love bacon and eggs. Probably if I were to pick my absolute favorite, probably a breakfast sandwich. Like we're talking bacon, fried eggs, and maybe some cheese on some wheat bread, some buttered wheat bread. That sounds really good. I don't like hot sauce or anything. Ew, just salt and pepper. Also, there's this at this restaurant that we go to. I haven't had this in so long. There's a breakfast burger. I'm not above a breakfast burger. So I think I'm more of like a hearty gal myself when it comes to breakfast food. This is not what I eat on a daily basis, by the way, but I do love it. Also, honey butter chicken biscuit. I probably haven't had that since high school, but from Whataburger, so good. And of course, your girl loves Chick-fil-A. And so I'm more of a chicken biscuit gal than I am a chicken minis gal. But yes. Uh, So all those things, I don't know. Can you tell I'm pregnant? They all sound good to me. Okay, let's get into something uh, a little bit deeper here. Do you think that we are in the end times? Good question. I get this question a lot. So it depends on your eschatological view. If you're a post-millennialist, then this question isn't really relevant to you. Um, If you are a pre-millennialist, as I am, I am a post-trib pre-millennialist. Okay, so I'm not going to take the time to explain all of that right now. I'm just going to tell you, I'm a post-tribulation pre-millennialist. So this means, this is going to shock some people, I don't believe in a rapture. I don't believe that Christians are going to be raptured before the tribulation. I believe that we will, when there is a tribulation, for those of us who are here, that we will, while we are alive, endure the tribulation. And so if you want to know the explanation for that, I have talked about, I think I did an um, eschatology episode explaining my view 
probably first maternity leave. So 2019, you can go back and listen to that. I think you can just type in wherever you get your podcast in times relatable and it should come up. I've also talked about post-millennialism though with Jeff Durbin. He's post-mill, I'm pre-mill. And so someone like John MacArthur would be um, pre-mill, pre-trib. So that means he does believe in a rapture. Obviously, I really respect his theological knowledge. Um, someone like John Piper would be also what I am, which is, I also, I always have to think about like what it is pre mill post trip. And then you've got someone like Vody Bauckham. These are all people that I really, really respect theologically. And, uh, you know, I uh, think that this is like a secondary or tertiary issue, obviously not a salvation issue. Vody Bauckham is an amillennialist and then post mill would be someone like Jeff Durbin. So these are all amazing Christians. These are all people I respect so much and have learned a lot from, but it does affect in a large part, the rest of your theology. So for example, and this may be the reason why I am pre mill post trip, but the first big study Bible that I got that God really used to just shape my faith and to draw me into studying scripture was the ESV study Bible. And I did not realize that kind of the, um, John Piper view of eschatology would kind of shape and color the commentary there. But then once I got several years later, like 10 years later, I got the John MacArthur study Bible just to see if, if I, if I enjoyed it. Um, I realized that his eschatology was uh, coloring the commentary. And so the ESV study Bible is what I, what I typically use, even though I appreciate John MacArthur's insights on, um, on theology as well. But yes, so without even realizing it, I think that did kind of affect me. And I didn't even know how to put necessarily a label on it until I read, or until I haven't read the whole thing, but Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, this huge textbook. And that's what I would recommend to you. You can also go to gotquestions.org so I don't have to spend time explaining all of them. There are so many intricacies. I am i don't have it in front of me right now, so I'm afraid if I tried to break down every view of the end times that I would miss something or you would feel like I misinterpreted or misrepresented your view. So gotquestions.org they can explain in a very succinct way what all of these views are. But if you want a more thorough and honestly objective and unbiased explanation of what each end time view is, then I would get Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. And it's not only for that. I also think he just does a really good job of breaking down very complex theological topics, the end times being one of those topics. So Yep. That's, that's what I, so that's what I believe about the end time. So that said, do I believe since I am pre-mill, like, do I believe that we are entering into a time of tribulation? I don't know. I can't say that because here's one mistake that I think the pre-mill people get into and even the post-mill to some extent, but definitely pre-mill is constantly looking at news headlines to try to tell us if we are in the end times. And there's some of that. If you're looking at biblical prophecy and the things going on in the world. But that's not really what we should be primarily looking at, no matter where you land when it comes to the end times. It really should be the Bible. And everyone who has these views, they would all say that they base their view of the end times on the Bible. But that should be our primary lens. That should be our go-to when trying to understand if we are in the end times 
That said, the Bible also points us into worldly happenings to try to kind of give us an indicator of what the end times will look like. And so, for example, you've got 2 Timothy 3, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. There's a billion dollar industry out there for self-love, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. I think that's talking specifically about Glenn and Doyle always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Oh my gosh. How many women do you know who are following Glenn and Doyle and Brene Brown and Jen Hatmaker and, and all these psychologists and think that they are trying to discover themselves and follow their heart and unleash their inner goddess and Rachel Hollis and all of this, who are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth because they've been preyed upon by a lover of self, a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. Wow. Yes, that seems to describe our age. Yes, of course it does. And so you could say, yes, we're in the end times. There are lots of other passages that people could point to, many more complex prophetic passages that people could point to. But also, why I think it's dangerous to look at this passage and say, yes, we're in the end times is because I would say that this characterizes many times throughout history, uh, many countries, like, and we can't even look at, oh my gosh, we're going through persecution. We're going through such fiery trials that that indicates that we are in the tribulation or we're about to be in the tribulation and that the, you know, the birth pains are getting stronger and stronger, like Okay, I, I see that here in America, but don't you think that the Christians in the Middle East or the Christians in China or the Christians in North Korea, that they have been going through in time like suffering and trials and tribulation and birth pangs for a very long time? And so I think that we have to be careful not to look through our local lens or our American or Western lens to say, yes, we are entering into the end times. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't other you know, geopolitical indicators there that maybe are interesting to debate and discuss and, and to look at. I'm just saying, I don't think that we can look through our personal political and American lens to say, yes, we are gearing up for the great tribulation. Um, because Christians around the world have been dealing with apocalyptic type suffering for a while. And that, I mean, you don't think that the Christians in Nero felt like this has got to be the end times. I mean, even think about pagan Greece and Rome where Christianity, the world in which Christianity was birthed into absolutely lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, unappeasable, treacherous, reckless, loving pleasure rather than loving God. I mean, the epistles that Paul writes to the churches, you can see that that's kind. Of, that's the kind of world that they lived in then. And so, I mean, post-mill people would say that the last days aren't talking about our last days, but they're actually talking about days that have already occurred in the church. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I don't know. And because this is a secondary or tertiary issue and that I don't believe that it what what you believe on this determines your salvation or the sincerity of your faith. That is why I love discussing it and debating it and hearing other people that I respect their perspective on it. That doesn't mean it's not important. That doesn't mean there isn't a right view. There is one right view. It's not that all of these views are equally valid or all of these views are equally true. They're mutually exclusive. They can't all be true. There is one truth. I just don't... Um, 
Like, I, I just don't know all of the answers about them. I mean, I'm confident in my view based on my reading of scripture, but I also am, you know, there are a lot of, there are persuasive debates and arguments out there, biblical arguments about each view. So I just think it's interesting. I don't know if we're in the end times or not. Some people would say absolutely. I mean, it's hard to see how it'd be worse than this, right? Like it's hard to, how can we get more confused than we are right now? How can we be more up is down than we are right now? How can we be more Romans one than we are right now? It's probably a bad question. It can always get worse. Okay, I'll quick break to tell you about Cozy Earth, one of my amazing sponsors. I love Cozy Earth. I have their sheets on our bed that I absolutely love. They're naturally temperature regulating, so I always stay cool, which I'm very appreciative of. It helps me get a great night's sleep. We also got an extra sheet set for our uh, guest room. Also, we got the bedding to go with it. I have a towel set from Cozy Earth. I've got loungewear from Cozy Earth. It's because I genuinely love their products. They're so high quality, so luxurious, so soft. A great gift for yourself or someone in your life. Got Christmas coming up, already thinking about the holidays in a couple of months. You can get this as a Christmas gift or a great wedding gift. A great wedding gift is like a towel set or a sheet set from Cozy Earth. I absolutely love their stuff. Use it all the time. Go to CozyEarth.com slash Allie. Save 35%. What an amazing deal. CozyEarth.com slash Allie for 35% off your order. CozyEarth.com slash Allie. Will I ever have a live audience for my shows? Possibly. Possibly. We've talked about it before. Um, have I answered this question? I can't remember if I've answered this question. I probably have on one podcast or another, but yeah, we've talked about it. We got to vet you guys. Most of you guys are awesome, but unfortunately there's some weirdos out there. So for the protection of everyone around, we would just have to make sure that the people that we invite and allow in are, you know, true relatables and relatables. But, um, yeah, I think one day that we will. So just stay tuned for that. We've got lots of fun stuff coming up that we are planning and scheming. Uh, what does the typical day look like for you? Uh, that's a great question. People ask me this all the time. People in my own life who I know ask me this all the time uh, because I feel like I'm kind of just like MIA during the week and then I resurface on the weekends because this podcast takes, uh, it takes a lot of time and a lot of focus and a lot of energy. And it's not just the podcast, it's everything that surrounds the podcast. In addition to the other things I do, like write and speak and all that good stuff, which I all, which I love. I love all of that stuff, but it just takes a lot of time. And then my first priority is being a wife and mom that takes the majority of my time. And so I don't have a lot of time for anything else during the week. That said, um, let's see ideal day. And I have answered this question a long time ago, but it's okay. I think it's good to repeat, or maybe I just answered it on Instagram. I don't know. Everything's all jumbled right now. Um, I try to wake up ideally, ideally, this doesn't always happen. Okay. Ideally I wake up at 6am and I just kind of get ready for the day. I really try not to open my phone and scroll first thing. Although that is tempting. I would say that's like a struggle for me because it is an easy way to 
ease into the day, it seems like, but it's not a good way. It's not a good way at all to ease into the day, but it's just, you know, it's mindless or it feels mindless. But I try to make myself when I want to do that, because I have the Bible app on my phone or Bible apps, I try to do that first, just at least read a chapter of the Bible before or a segment of the Bible before I get into the news and all of that, because I do need to know what's going on in the world. So I do need to scroll Twitter and Instagram for a little bit, but I don't need to do that, you know, for the first 30 minutes of my day. And I certainly don't need to prioritize that before getting in the word. I would love to say also that I sit down and I open all my commentaries and I do an hour long quiet time. I don't. I had to kind of wake myself up to the reality that quiet times don't have to look like that in every stage of life, that just because you can't sit down for a full feast every day doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat. And so sometimes it looks like listening on my dwell app to my to a Bible passage. Sometimes it looks like reading the Bible for 15 minutes. Sometimes it does look longer and and more in depth. But don't think that just because you can't have a perfectly quiet, quiet time and that you can't have it without it being disrupted by kids or whatever it is, or that you get distracted sometimes that you just shouldn't read your Bible. I think that's a trick of the devil. So anyway, I try to prioritize that first. doesn't always happen, just to be honest. And I'm not making an excuse for that. A lot of times it's just sin and me just being selfish in the morning and not feeling like it. And that's not a good thing. Again, not an excuse. It's just how it is. Um, so anyway, that's the first thing I want to do. Wake up at six. Six allows me to like do all the things that I need to do before my children wake up. Thankfully, my children sleep in uh, pretty long. And then my kids wake up and then I do mom things in the morning. And then um I record my podcast in the morning. Sometimes we have to record multiple things. Sometimes we record social media videos. I get my makeup done at the studio before I record anything. Usually after I record, there are some meetings and things. And uh, we just have to talk about things. Sometimes I have to meet with different people about merch or about you know future plans for the show or other things that we're planning. Sometimes I have phone calls with other people. Sometimes I have to write articles. And so until like early afternoon, that's basically what I'm doing on the phone, in meetings, recording, um, writing. Some days I'm I'm traveling. Usually my travel is less than 24 hours. Sometimes my family comes with me. Sometimes it doesn't or sometimes they don't. Um, and then from afternoon to evening, I'm you know, full on mom. Sometimes I'll work out. I used to work out at 6 a.m. I don't do that anymore. It's usually afternoon. I also used to work out every day in the morning. I don't do that anymore. I work out probably three times a week in the afternoon or evening when my husband is there. And yeah, that's kind of my day. And then after bed, I typically just hang out with my husband. But at some point I do work at night. That's just the exchange that I have that I that I do to be with my family in the mornings and then all afternoon after bedtime, I do typically have to work on something. I try not to stay up too late, but sometimes I have to. Sometimes it's until midnight. I usually try to get to bed at 10.30 or so. So that's my typical day. And we just make it work. I wish I could say I'm like the most organized person with all this time blocking. I do have to-do lists. I have to put everything. I have to write everything down. Um, I do have an assistant who helps me, uh, with that kind of stuff. And yeah, we live like a very normal, regular, private life. And 
except for recording this podcast and like the public stuff that I do. It's not, you know, it's not very exceptional. My life probably looks a lot like y'all's life. Um, so I don't know if that answers all of your questions. It kind of changes from day to day, week to week too, just depending on our schedule and all of that. I'm also just so thankful. Like if you can live by your family, like moms live by your parents. Oh my gosh. It makes such a big difference. It makes such a big difference. I'm just so thankful for that. Um, and also just like having an awesome husband who is an awesome dad and we just really are great. We're just a, a great team. So I just praise God for that. It makes it all makes it all work. Okay, y'all, it is that time of year, the time of year where everything is pumpkin spiced. And yes, I'm just a simple girl just like you. And I love pumpkin spiced everything in the fall, and I'm not afraid to admit it. And that includes my bacon. Yes, I like pumpkin spiced bacon, but only if it's from Good Ranchers. Why? Because I care about what's in my meat and where it comes from. And I can trust if all of my meat, including my pumpkin spice bacon, is from Good Ranchers, then it's from only American farms and ranches, and they're totally transparent about what's in their meat. Right now, we got a lot of mystery meat in the grocery store. We don't really know where it comes from. We don't really know what's in it. There could even be mRNA vaccines in it. You don't have to worry about that stuff with Good Ranchers. Plus, you're supporting a company owned by people who love America. They love God. They're on our team. So there's really just there's there's no cons when it comes to getting your meat from Good Ranchers. That's why we love it so much. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout for $30 off. That's GoodRanchers.com. Go to Allie. GoodRanchers.com. Go to Allie. Uh, what is the difference between submitting to your husband and the patriarchy? Well, here's my answer to that. That maybe is surprising. So you're looking at Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 5 says, and I'll pull it up, that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. That does not mean that women are supposed, all women are supposed to submit to all men. That's not what that says. In verse 22 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, of course, the teaching on this, the traditional orthodox, I believe, teaching on this is that in so far as your husband is not causing you to sin. We also don't think that this is an excuse for enduring abuse um, of you or of your children. Anyone who has tried to use, misuse, abuse this passage to say that wives are meant to endure the abuse of their husbands is wrong and I think sinful. And so maybe that's what this is. This question is trying to get at, but there is an inherent assumption in this question. The inherent assumption in this question is that patriarchy is bad. So submitting to your husband, I think that this questioner is saying is good because the Bible explicitly calls wives to submit to their husbands. There's an ordering, there's a hierarchy there. Okay. This is not an egalitarian arrangement. Yes. Equal in worth, equal in value. Remember, there is in Christ, there is neither male nor female nor slave nor free nor uh, Jew nor Greek. We are all one in Christ, those of us who are believers. But when it comes to the marriage arrangement, 
uh, there is an ordering there is that the husband is supposed to be a representative of Christ and the wife is a representative of the church. There is a great spiritual and eternal uh, picture of the gospel that is represented in marriage. That's why, by the way, marriage between one woman and one male is the only biblical option. It's the only biblical definition of marriage. And so, um, the wives have a unique role. Men have a unique role, even as we are equal in worth and uh, just as much able to be given salvation and faith and grace and all of those things. Um, so submitting, you understand, to your husband is biblical and is good. But patriarchy, I'm guessing the assumption is, is bad. And I would say that that is not necessarily true. That is certainly not biblically true. Like, biblically, we don't see any kind of condemnation of patriarchy. Jesus was born into a patriarchal time. Did he shake his fist at the patriarchy? Now, maybe you think that him, um, that his interaction with a woman caught in adultery, that that was shaking his fist at patriarchy. And I believe it's John 8. That is not a shaking the fist at the patriarchy. That is actually, as Jesus does so often, um, a pointing out and a condemnation of hypocrisy. Uh, for those of you who have not sinned, you be the one to throw the first stone at this woman. What he actually means by that is not in a, an abolishing or an ignoring of the law, but actually a doubling down on the law, getting to the heart of the law. Again, what he does so often when he is talking to um Pharisees or talking to the people, he is showing people not that the law is bad, but that they misunderstand the intent of the law. And those who had caught this woman in adultery, thrown her before Jesus to test him, to test his knowledge and his adherence to the law, they had actually broken the law because the law actually said that there had to be uh, two to three witnesses who saw this woman committing adultery and also that the man committing adultery was also open to punishment. And so they had actually broken the law and dragging this woman in this way before Jesus and demanding execution, demanding a stoning without the proper uh, procedure preceding her punishment. And so when Jesus is saying, you of you who... Uh, who are without sin, be the one to throw the first stone. He's actually saying, you guys aren't even following the law here. You are condemning her for not following the law. You're not following the law either. And so in this case, he extends mercy to her. And it is an, a beautiful moment, a beautiful story where he, I'm guessing, looks her in the eye in a way that maybe a man had it before and treats her with kindness and respect and forgiveness. But he is not telling her to keep sinning. He is urging her to sin no more and that forgiveness is supposed to lead her to repentance. As Romans 2 tells us, that kindness, that God's kindness is to lead us to repentance. Anyway, that story is not about abolishing the patriarchy. Jesus did not try to abolish the patriarchy. We see a patriarchy that's set up in the Old Testament. So, of course, we can't say that it is evil. So, I do kind of take issue with how this question is arranged, that patriarchy is inherently bad when that's not something that we actually see in Scripture. And so, if what your real question is, is how is submitting to your husband distinct from submitting to abuse, um, then... I would say that that is simply not the interpretation of submission that we see 
biblically that the husband would be totally abdicating his responsibility as a husband in that case, and that to protect herself, to protect her children, to protect her family, that a wife should not be in submission to a husband that is um, that is abusing her. And now I'm not talking about abuse and that sometimes he or you both say something mean to each other. I'm talking about actual abuse. Yes, that can be emotional, but there are actual specific definitions of that, which we can talk about on this show at some point. Um, but it is not talking about tolerating that. It's also, you are not supposed to sin. If submitting to your husband means that he is forcing you to sin, forcing you to worship another God or whatever, commit some kind of crime, then you are called to submit to the Lord rather than um, to man. So anyway, patriarchy is not always bad. It can be in a very uh, abusive structure. Of course, we see that in other parts of the world. Like we see that in the Middle East, for example, but it is not inherently bad. Just as anything else, the system has to be in submission to the Lord and his word to be good for anyone, including the people in charge. And this is what husbands are called to in the same passage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives lives is their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ says the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. That's amazing. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This would have been radical at the time. You know, we see this passage today through a feminist lens. I think a lot of us do and are like, oh, wives submit to your husbands. That's so crazy. I can't believe Paul would say that. We should just ignore Paul. The radical part of this passage at the time would not have been that wives are called to submit to their husbands because they were to submit to their husbands at the time in secular culture, even to the point of, you know, allowing their husbands to gallivant with prostitutes and even to the point of abuse and severe subjugation. That would have not been really radical. This was a more gentle and a more godly call to submission. But what would have been radical at the time was Paul saying, hey, husbands, I have a really high standard for you. And that high standard is Christ. You know how Christ was crucified on behalf of his church? You know how Christ gave himself up completely, entirely for the glory of God and for love of his church? Yeah, that's how much you're supposed to sacrifice for your wives. You should sacrifice your entire self because of love for God and love for your wife. That would have been radical at the time. So actually this passage is radical in the way of elevating the dignity of women that they are to be cherished, that they are to be cared for, that they are to be sacrificed for in the marriage relationship. That would have been completely foreign at the time um, that the church of Ephesus was being written to by Paul. And so it's funny because the same people that see this through a feminist modern lens are also the ones that are always decrying viewing the Bible through our Western modern capitalist lens. Look, if you're viewing this, this passage as oppressive towards women, you are viewing it through your Western modern lens. This actually speaks to how much God loves women, how much the early church really cared about women, saw marriage as a refuge for the safety and the cherishing of women. And that's how we should read it as well. Okay, guys, one of the issues that we talk about the most on this podcast is abortion and the importance of 
protecting life inside the womb. There's lots of different ways to do that. Obviously, legally, they deserve the right to life, but we can also spend our time, our energy, and our resources ensuring that women are choosing life. One way to do that is to make sure that women have access to a free sonogram. That's what the pro-life ministry Preborn provides. They provide free sonograms to pregnant women, and they know that once a woman sees that child inside her womb, they hear the child's heartbeat, they are far more likely to choose life. So you can partner with Preborn by donating 28 bucks. That covers the cost of the sonogram. So if you can donate $28, if you can donate even more than that, to donate even more sonograms, that's great. But whatever you can give helps save a life. So go to preborn.com slash Allie to make that donation today. That's preborn.com slash Allie, preborn.com slash Allie. Let's do a simple one. Best chain restaurant. Okay, let me tell you the first one that comes to mind. And the first one that comes to mind is Chili's. Um, I don't know if that's actually true. Uh, But that is the first one that comes to mind because their skillet queso, or as some of you might say in certain parts of the country, cheese dip, their skillet queso is really good. Um, also their like their chicken nuggets or their chicken fingers, I should say. I'm sorry. Whew, blasphemy. Chicken fingers breaded to perfection. Now, I will say I have not been to Chili's in a really long time. I'm actually getting hungry as I'm saying this, and I would like it. Uh, but I grew we grew up going to Chili's. That was like where if we were going out to eat, a lot of times it was to Chili's because it was easy. Back then it was cool. Gen Z don't even know. You don't even know the Chili's of the 90s. You will never know. You will not know fine dining until you sit in the Chili's and you see all the cool knickknacks that are lining the ceiling and all of the fun pictures. I don't even know, looking back, what these pictures were of. They seem to be some kind of Chili's festivals that were going on in the 80s and 90s. And then they tried to kind of redo or revamp Chili's later on in like the later 2000s. Um, but then I missed the old chilies and like the cool little tile that were always on the, that were always on the table. So I don't know, I, I guess I could say chilies, but I don't know if you're talking fast food, that's a whole different category. We're talking, okay. Then you got battle Royale between in and out and Chick-fil-A and you got Shake Shack. And then, I mean, I don't know. Also, I liked Wendy's growing up. Wendy's was good. Wendy's gets slept on a lot, but it's good. Um, so I'm, you know, Chili's final answer, Chili's final answer, simply because of their chicken fingers. And when Chili's finally goes out of business, that is going to be a loss, a loss to Americana, a loss, a loss of a world, maybe the dying bits of a world pre craziness that again, Gen Z, you don't even know, you don't even know that the world used to be better than this, that things used to be a lot simpler and a lot easier not all young people were freaking depressed because we weren't like in the throes of existential crises and politics all the time. Uh, let's see if there's one more that we can answer. Okay. Let me end on an encouraging note. Um, okay. Never mind. I'm not going to get into this cause it'll take too long. Uh, all right. Let me see if there's one more that we can answer. Okay, this is a fun one. If you didn't host a podcast, what other job do you think you'd have? Oh my gosh, there's so 
guys, there's so many things. This actually like annoys my husband because I will be like, do you think I should do this? Do you think I can do this? What about, what if I did this? And he's like, has to remind me, he's like, you have a job. Like you, you have a, actually you have a career (laughs) that you have been working on since 2015. Like you remember that, right? Like, you know, that you can't go like open a bar studio. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's true. I probably can't do that. Or like, you can't go be a doula. You can't No, you're not going to be like a midwife. Those are things I would want to do. That is my, that's my apocalypse designation. Like all of us will have different, you know, places in the apocalypse when I don't even know exactly what that means, but when stuff really hits the fan and China is going to take over and we've all got our like plots of land. So there's going to be the hunters. There's going to be those who can make clothes. We're talking about if we have to basically go back in time um, in some ways to pre-industrialism. There's going to be gardeners. There's going to be not very many of those. Most people are useless like me and don't have any of those skills. There's going to be the preppers. There's going to be all these people. I don't have any of those apocalyptic skills, those pre-industrial skills. Like, I don't know if y'all need me to go on the, like, I, I don't know, the walkie-talkies that we have to talk to each other in our underground communities. And I can be the messenger for that. That's probably the only thing that I have. But I do like birth. And so I can be the midwife. I don't have any medical experience, so um, don't give me complicated birth. But I could be the midwife in that kind of scenario. So when when all that happens, when things really hit the fan and we have to all go underground and live like we're in the 1700s again, um, that's what I have to offer. So if I weren't doing this, maybe it would be something in the birth world because that's something that I'm really fascinated by and I've learned a lot about since I started giving birth. Um, let's see. There are other things. There, are, Oh, I could probably come up with names for businesses. I really like doing that. Um, but here's here's the problem with all of my things is that I could never... I don't know if I should say this publicly just in case I'm in this position again it would be really difficult for me to ever have a boss again. Okay. I have not had a boss since 2015. Um, and I was born to not have one. I was just not built for it. I wasn't built to be an employee and there's something like I, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, to, well, it's actually, I think a lot harder to have a hard time, like, working for someone. And I have always had a hard time with that probably since I was like in kindergarten. Um, but I just couldn't do it. So thinking of having any other job other than this, it'd be really tough for me. I would have to start something on my own because I just, I can't do it. I just, I didn't really like my teachers growing up and I just have a hard time with authority, which is probably why I am anti so many things that the government does okay that's all i got time for today uh we will be back here soon thanks for your questions 
Covenant Eyes is a software to protect you and your family against the predation of pornography. Unfortunately, the age that kids are accessing pornography online is getting younger and younger, and you just want all the tools in your tool belt possible to protect them from that. I mean, that can have a lifelong impact on their brain, how they think about themselves, how they think about sex, their relationships. And so you want to do everything that you can to block porn on all of their devices. And that's what Covenant Eyes does. Their software blocks porn on your kids' devices. It also sends you a detailed report of their online activity. And then they also have an accountability feature because this is not just for kids. Obviously, adults struggle with addiction to porn. And so uh, if you have a trusted accountability partner, you can allow Covenant Eyes to send them a report of your online activity uh, throughout the week. So they can know if you access content that you shouldn't be looking at. We want to make sure that we are glorifying God, not just in what we do and say, but also in how we think. And Covenant Eyes helps us do that in a really, really effective way. So if you go to covenanteyes.com, you can use my code Allie at checkout. You'll get a 30-day trial all for free. So covenanteyes.com, use code Allie for that free 30-day trial. Covenanteyes.com, code Allie. Hey guys, if you love this podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks. 